0: You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders within the NHS. I'm Emma Heath and I help connect digital leaders with interim talent in the NHS and I'm your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation Welcome, um, everybody, to today's podcast um, discussing the topic of data and the importance of the NHS being data-driven. This is actually one of the first episodes on the data series, so I'm really kind of excited to to listen to your thoughts and obviously learn from the experts themselves. Um, Also, just a quick thank you as well um, for taking your time out of your day. I really really do appreciate it. I understand that you're all busy. Um, So what we'll do first is we'll just dive straight into kind of the intros. Um, I'll kick things off. Um, I know you all know me me already, but I'm Emma and I work on the NHS team at Evolution Recruitment. Um, We're a Crown Commercial Service Framework supplier who work to deliver interim digital and tech talent into the NHS. Um, Our purpose at Evolution is that we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. There are three three parts to that really. Um, first, our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. Um, second to that, what we do is collaborate with NHS organisations, helping them to build high-performing digital teams. And finally, how we do that is through cur- creating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS digital industry best practice, such as events like this podcast tonight. Um, so that's me. So what I'll do is I'll just see as you as I see you on the screen, I'll just pick on the first person. Just say your name, the trust that you work for, a little bit more about your role and a, a bit about your background, if that's okay. So Alistair, we're going to come to you first.
1: That's fine. Um, hi everybody, I'm Alistair Lambie. I'm a senior project manager um, at the tease and and Weir Valleys Uh, NHS Foundation Trust. Um, Only been there since September of last year and this was my entry to the NHS Um, prior to that 35 year career um, in project and programme management, organisational management, mainly in um, technology. So starting off in the, the sort of IT side of the DWP, but then uh, like a, a lot of people back in the 90s outsourced into the private sector, uh, wound up in Hewlett Packard and various other companies, um, and more recently, prior to the NHS, I worked for a Taiwanese company called ADLINK Technology. So so very much a tech background, um, still kind of on a learning curve in the NHS. Uh, but very much looking forward to uh, this evening's podcast.
0: Thank you, Alistair. Um, Deep. do you
2: want to go next? Uh, yeah, brilliant. I'm so glad that I'm not the only new person here. <laughs> <laughs> um, my name's Koldeep. Um I'm with the NHS for two years. And prior to that, and I worked, sorry, for uh, LYPFT, which is a Leeds New York Partnership Mental Health Trust. I'm the Continuous Improvement Lead. So we are embedding improvement activity and improvement culture within a mental health trust. Now, prior to that, I had 22 years at the Royal Mail, um, of which zero years was spent as a postman before you all jumped to conclusions, <laughs> um, mainly in compliance, audit, continuous improvement. So we worked a lot with data, numbers, performance targets, performance numbers, manifesting into business warehouses, dashboards, um, workplace-led dashboards. So I've seen a cultural shift from a, a business where there was a heavy, very unionised, them and us numbers. Numbers are meant to be hit over the head with. To what do the numbers tell us, and what are tomorrow's numbers going to tell us as well? So very much around people and improvement and
0: using data. Perfect. Thank you very much, Alisa. We'll come around to you next. Bye.
3: Um, hello everybody, so my name's well, Lisa, you've got my name here haven't you already, um, so Associate Director of Information Services over at Rotherham Trust, so I've been in position here for about two years just over, um, joined probably just a week or two shy of the national lockdown in March, um, prior to to that, I was working at Caldell and Huddersfield and I spent the vast majority of my NHS career within that environment. I joined way back in 2003 as a Cancer Waiting Times Information Analyst and sort of have been fortunate enough to work my way through to the position I've got now. Thank
0: you, Lisa. And then Nigel.
4: Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Nigel Bate. I work for Yorkshire Island Service. and being head of... Um, Business intelligence for the last nine years. I think about about 20 years across local government and NHS, mainly working with data technically as well. So I've looked after information systems. I've developed an analytics system at here at Yaz and working with the data warehouse. But then also on the other side, we're trying to drive to get better intelligence and information out to, to managers. And we work on various things across the trust using. Power Automate, Power BI, um, and lots of information tools, and then we get involved with lots of things like contract negotiation, national data sets, national reports, FOIs, everything everybody probably is familiar with, but uh, lots of data flying around uh, that we we help support.
0: Perfect. Thank you, everybody. Um, So we'll kind of just move straight into the questions. I'll just come back the same way we just did the intros. So that means, Alistair, we're starting off with you. Um, So what I'll do, um, Alistair, is I'll just um, read your question back to you, and then if it's okay with yourself, just give us a little bit of an insight into the question, why you're interested in hearing a little bit more about it, then we'll go around and do the answers. Um, So Alistair, your question was, data is a valuable asset. How do we protect it whilst ensuring we derive maximum value from the data in terms of improving services to patients and other stakeholders, such as carers and employees?
1: Yeah, for for me, this is, um, it's an important question because I I think it's sort of dawned on organizations and and individuals over the last, I was going to say a few years, probably probably decade or so, um, just the value of data. It's really becoming um, one of the most valuable assets within an organization. And when when I think back kind of 20 years plus, Nobody really even considered data to, to have a value as such, um, but it, but clearly now it's recognised as a valuable asset, um, so therefore it needs to be secure, hence my part of the question about um, how do we protect it, um, but, but also we've got to make best use of it. Um, and that aspect of the question is really about, we have so much of it now. We're absolutely kind of flooded in data. So how do we make sure we derive the maximum value from the point of view of what we're trying to do to deliver services? So it's, you know, it's great having loads of data, but how do we keep it safe? And then how do we maximize it? So that's really where I'm coming from. And I guess that would be, a question not just in every nhs trust but probably every organization that's trying to deliver something whether it's services or products um to, to a customer base
0: perfect thanks thanks for that alistair i just love the fact that i was watching you all you're just all nodding away disagreeing with everything he's got to say um no so kulde we'll come round to you first if that's okay what are your thoughts on that
2: i mean a lot of A lot of it is about it it literally you should never lose sight of the fact that the, the people that record the data should always be shown the data that they've recorded literally shown yeah and shared in a format that is of interest to them yeah we're lucky now that we're in a culture where, where somebody can come to work with a watch on and that watch tells them how many steps they've done and it tells them how many steps they did last month and it tells them the heart rate and it tells them how many calories they've burnt. And if you ask them, they'll show you a graph which their app has shown and the, and the graph will tell you how many steps they did and how, what their heart rate was and everything. So they've got a grasp of data. They've got, they've got a bill from their energy company that tells them exactly how much they used last week. They can tell you how much it costs to take a shower. And yet they come to work. And then you want to discuss something such as length of stay on a ward, and all of a sudden you get this blank and you get you get this feeling of are you hitting me over the head with it so we've got to have this you want to derive maximum value you've got to show the benefit to the individuals you've got to show look and, and people need to be able to just share it with other people say so, you know if somebody hit their steps count I'm using that as an example they will gladly say here's me i've hit my steps count look what we did look what i did look at my performance look at that i made it better yet they will not be able to walk up to a storyboard in their ward and say this is what we've done to make length of stay shorter within our ward and there's the gap so the gap gives you is, is what gives you your maximum value yeah thanks for that and that's the bit that's the that's the challenge everybody knows data is a valuable asset nobody denies that it's how do we get it from system to person
0: thanks goldie lisa what are, what are your thoughts
3: yeah i think it's really interesting isn't it if we sort of take that analogy a little bit of kind of your step count and you'll know it and you hit your goals and you'll show people and maybe share that on your um Bit, bit dashboard other providers are available um scenario but it's your step count isn't it you've decided that and you've decided whether or not you wish to have that as your achievement goal and i think kind of without sort of moving too much into my background which is measurement for improvement i was really interested in sort of your um, background and the role that you've got there at the moment um it's kind of the length of stay reduction, or the targets within an NHS culture, and the data that perhaps the data-driven targets in a culture of the NHS aren't always owned, or designed, or thought to be supported by those that are being measured against it. So I think there's a cultural shift, and I'll probably answer a question that's coming up later on in there. So I think that's important. So I think I completely agree that information has to be back to the people that are at your data needs to go back to the people that are supplying that information to see it i think in terms of protection of that there is that naturally obviously all the information governance side of the world and there's something about when we hear the word information governance we often kind of do that internal sort of sigh and that sort of information governance but it is there for a reason it is an enabler and i think kind of there's a something about the terminology of it that we also need to shift our focus on and recognize if we can get on board with information governance. We really understand why it's there, the professionals that are there to keep us safe and we can engage with that. Then that will be where our learning comes from about how we protect information for the betterment of patient care, for the delivery of patient care. And we can buy into some of the um, enablers that we sometimes think are barriers around that. That that help. (laughs)
0: Thanks Lisa. Nigel, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so two parts
4: really. I think protecting the data is really important. The the governance around it's very important. We've got um, in our service so much data flying around that if you don't have good governance and know who owns the data, where it's been stored, how it's been stored, how secure it is, um, even things like splitting off personal information into different tables so people have to access it in a different way so they can't accidentally share personal information is very important as well. We've we've got a sort of Data governance framework, we kind of put it in a, a document to share um, ideas around what people should be should be doing and the quality of that data. So we and we also place a good emphasis on, I think you mentioned it before, getting it from the source to the person as quick as possible. It's looking at that process and how many manual processes are in between that process and getting it to the person. And the least amount of manual process, the better, the more you can store in, say a warehouse and have aggregates and also the importance of having someone who understands the KPIs and understands how to um, make the KPIs basically, and and loads of different people aren't creating different similar type reports of the same information and all saying different things. So It's important to have someone that knows what they're doing and and sharing that information. I guess to create maximum value, it's not just the data, it's understanding it, it's the intelligence that comes around it. it's working with the people that ask for stuff because often we get asked for information. They don't they're not really asking for what they want. They don't know what they want. You have to work with people to help them understand what they want and then delivering it in such a way that's going to be understandable to them and to the people that need it. So if it's say for directors, at no point giving them a massive data pack because they're not going to read it. So you need to give them a PowerPoint presentation, for example, with some clear narrative about what each indicator is saying and what what it means. And I think the most important bit is to the so what bit. So, the data says this, but so what, what actions can we take? What can it improve? How can you baseline it? How can you move forward? So, I think that might help get, deliver maximum
1: value, hopefully, from the data you've got.
0: Perfect. Thank you, Nigel. Alistair, does that kind of answer the question for you?
1: Yeah, I, I think it really does. Um, thank you guys for that. I, I, for, for me, you know, the protection side is clearly about data security, um, but the deriving the value side is about um, you know, enabling access. So it becomes a bit of a balancing act, um, but you can never compromise on the security, if that makes sense. Um, you, you know, we, we've all heard horror stories of when, when things go wrong with accidental loss of data, and increased cyber crime, and, and so on. Uh, I, I've actually been really impressed since I, I joined Tube, um around six or seven months ago, there's a significant amount of mandatory training around um, you know um, ju- just data protection security in, in general password management, cyber crime you know every, every month there seems to be a different theme and I, I think that's really good just so that people stay stay vigilant because the, the protection side of the data um, is it's kind of a 24/7 thing you just can't take your eye off the ball. so thanks for the opportunity for asking the
0: question and and thanks for the answers. Perfect, so we'll move on to the next question now. Um, So Kuldeet, we'll go round to your question. Um, So yours was, how do we develop a culture of being data driven? Is it possible to have a caring and an analytical workforce?
2: So basically I'm I'm asking, you know, let's let's say we have um, a a good strong governance, We have data protection. We have everybody who is IG compliant, really, really knows um, what not to share, what to share. Once you open that door of data, and giving somebody data, they get hungry and hungry. They want more and more and more and more. Yeah. How do we first off get that person who knows what their smart meter at home is telling them, and yet doesn't doesn't get that basic spreadsheet or that basic graph that's been sent down from informatics? without them saying. Look, I know the length of stay is what it is or whatever. Whatever you're measuring me against is this, but the core of what we do is to make patients safety and looking after people. So I'm going to ignore the numbers. Yeah, but I'm because I'm looking after people. Yeah, and we do get that and we get that quite a lot. Well, I've noticed that we do get that quite a lot. So it's it's how do we marry the two? You can look after people. And keep an eye on the numbers at the same time.
0: <laughs> Thank you for that, Lisa. We'll come round to you first if that's okay.
3: Um, and can you look after people and not look after the numbers? At some point, question um, in there. So I think kind of the um, so data-driven cultures I think comes back to sort of that element of open transparent data kind of getting the information out there getting that information back to the people that have generated that information but also those people that are going to make decisions off the back of it or feel they need to I think there's probably a a common thread that's emerging throughout some of our questions around how do we help people, busy individuals with lots of other priorities um, going on their day to day day, understand the information that they need to see and need to see it quickly and that role of the data analyst as the professional in that conversation or that business partner model, depending on how you want to take it. Um, I think there is a lot of relationship building that needs to happen between um, a information generator, provider, um, interpreter <laughs> and a receiver. There's sort of lots of different roles. We don't always necessarily um, take the time to bring those roles close together. Sometimes there can be a bit of a of them and us in terms of experts and non-experts and people needing to understand each other's point of view. And I think that's where leadership comes in. I think it's where conversations like this come in and where we begin to see some of that role model and it really taking having an impact really.
0: Thank you, Lisa.
3: Uh, Nigel, what are your thoughts?
0: Um, I think that trying
4: to develop culture being very driven really comes from everyone having buy into it and it comes from from the top. I think if you have a, a corporate strategy with some key KPIs, it's about how does that then filter down into to staff and how do they understand where they fit into the organization? If you can share, I'd say come back, share their own data back to them to show them how they as a person, influence the trust and that everyone's got a part to play, then it becomes data driven. I think if we develop business cases and, and things like that, and they should all be data driven around not just coming up with the ideas for the sake of it, it needs to be proven that that might work or it might not work and, and model things through properly and baseline things. I mean, I've come across in the past where people have come to us with ideas, they've got money for it, and then they come to us at the end and go, can you baseline this for me? And it's like we weren't involved from the start. We could have told you that you can't collect this data and things like that. So you need to involve key people at the start. And I think it is led from the top, but also not to make things too complicated. Just, you know, if you're going to present a report, very simple visuals on a a page, you've got to remember some people don't digest information in the same way that others don't. So it's making it uh, digestible to everybody and in different ways and a lot of training. You know, go to a lot of team meetings, present the information, make sure people understand what you're trying to share. Because there's no point in developing a really fancy report if nobody's going to use it.
1: Yeah.
0: Thanks, Nigel. And then Alistair, round to Thanks. you.
1: Yeah. When I when I was listening to called it, um, kind of say the question, um, the, the the kind of words that jumped out for me were caring and analytical. Um, and and for, for me, that's sort of the heart versus the head you know, the, um, the the warm, empathetic approaches to care versus the cold, data-driven decision-making um, aspect. So, uh, so I think from an NHS point of view, that there's probably two main aspects we could look at here. Um, firstly, around recruitment, we, you, know, you know, we should be constantly reviewing and adjusting our processes to, to make sure we re- recruit people with the desired skills mix. Um, You know, thinking back uh, throughout history, if we take nursing as the example, it would be that kind of caring, nurturing side that would be really important. Um, Perhaps that balance has shifted slightly um, nowadays. Um, And then in terms of training, um, you you know, both in terms of higher level qualifications, medicine, nursing and, and so on. Uh, but also career development type training across the disciplines and roles and pay bands. So there's a lot that can be done for, at the outset, but but also kind of during a, a, um, a professional's career. But I think at the end of the day, it's all about balance. You, you know, it's hard. I'll, I'll stick with nursing. It, it's hard to imagine a, a nurse will ever need data analytics to make a decision to hold a patient's hand, for for example. That um, you know, those kind of
4: actions are just very much instinctive. Yeah, the we'll uh, nurse is going to benefit from things like electronic patient records, where they're going to get the data straight from, say, the ambulance service transfer of patient care, the data comes straight into their their hands rather than copying notes or looking at notes. Yeah. So the data driven thing is about pushing the right data. Absolutely. Automatically where we can push it.
2: It is that. Well, th- thank you for your answers. It is, you're, you're right there, Nigel. It's, it's the simplicity of it, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's having that at your fingertips, but not too much at your fingertips, but having what you need at your fingertips. And, you know, um, <clears throat> every uh, previous roles, every every office we used to go into had a performance board. All right, we didn't call it, we just called it a numbers board. And on that numbers board, there was data on everything re- relating to that office and there was uh, sick there was there was the official reports we get sent down from the business warehouse which are sick levels accident levels etc then we had local records that were kept and they were handwritten hand-drawn hand-drawn graphs because we realized that people were willing to do the measures but they didn't want to go and sit at a computer and open up excel and put it in excel etc so we said fine just draw it draw it with a marker pen because it's still, and then be able to just illustrate that. So, yeah, last week we had this many slips. This week we've got this many, and this is the graph that tells you. So, it's getting right to the simplest level and then taking one step up and one step up. But you're right, Nigel, it, we, a lot of people very, very rarely involve the right people at the right time, and that is the the, the business where the analysts, et cetera and then they will come off with a great idea, and then come to you and say, this is what we want. And then you're going to be perceived as a barrier because you can't deliver that because it's impossible. Yeah, so I need that, yeah. It's, yeah, I know it's just like a short question, but it was, it's really difficult to get that mix and give everybody what they want, but thank you. <laughs>
0: Thanks. So I didn't even have to do my job. Then the conversation just seemed to flow between you all. I, do you want me? To, I may as well just go now. <laughs> all right. Perfect. We'll move on to the next question then. So Lisa, we'll come round to yours. Um, so your question was: Twenty twenty two is the year of the digital profession. What does it mean to be a data or digital professional within the NHS, and why does professionalism matter?
3: Yeah, it's quite a leading question isn't it at the very end I should have had does professionalization matter <laughs> discuss um so one of my um... Professionalisation. <laughs> it is now <laughs> <laughs> we understand it and I can say it it's word. <laughs> so um so part of my um role and has been for or pers- personal interest actually it's kind of um in addition to the role i did previously and in addition to the role i do now is to be a yorkshire and humber branch lead for something called Affa so the association of professional healthcare analysts um that have been aligned to fed ip kind of over the recent years but when they first when we first started in Affa it was very much born out of an idea of professionalizing a healthcare analytical workforce and what that might mean um we're recognizing increasingly and we sort of talked about it here, really, about the, the role of the data analyst. So if data is so very valuable to us and being a an data driven NHS is required, we need somebody to drive that data and that driver needs to be competent and skilled and ideally have passed their driving test. So when we sort of look at sort of professionalisation of our analytical workforce, what we're talking about is how do we give people with quite a diverse set of skills, whether we're about how we organize and structure data how we take it out of those organizations and structures and their warehouses and turn them into analytical data and how we even take that further into data visualization and um, partnership in of people that may not have actually seen this information before so they can begin to understand it so I think I'm really passionate about in order to make some of that happen, we need to create a bit of a professional workforce, a group where people can come together, share standards, share skills, share knowledge, and ideally add value as a group of individuals into an entire industry rather than as individuals sat potentially in a dark room somewhere, putting numbers through databases. Discuss. (laughs)
0: thanks lisa um nigel we'll come round to you first if that's okay
4: yeah i think it's a it's a good question i think think it's a really key for getting a good good is to be able to look after you to your workforce and really invest in staff and develop your staff as you go along because i think since covid and we've had this so good for certain people not good for me but it's opened up a massive job market because everyone's working from home the BI sector is primed for working at home. You don't need to go into an office. That's, you know, we, we were in Wakefield. The only place people used to go was Leeds. Now they can go, I've lost a few people to various different places to post that are pay more than, than what we do. So we looked at how do we retain staff? How do we get the skills? And it was really more looking at the structure and the development and bringing people in from university and training them up and using things like the apprenticeship levy and getting them onto standardized courses that, um, only retains them for a couple of years because they're willing to put the effort in if you know you get the funding for it but also you're showing an investment into them and you get really much better value out of the stuff if you're if you're actively saying i'm going to give you some time i'm going to invest in in you as a person and we're going to develop your skills and i'm going to say to you like i want to know where you want to be two years because i'm going to help you get there hopefully it will be with me but then if you invest, I've had a, quite a lot come through now at that level and they've moved up and moved up and you get much better, I feel, engaged workforce if you, if they feel that like you're investing in them, you're giving them good feedback. I think the role of the BI analyst is changing a lot. I think quite a few few years ago when I I started doing it, it was just about the data. Can you provide me some data on this, some data on that? Now it's about being a business partner and helping that service develop and embedding the staff within those team meetings and getting them to, to suggest actions, So we suggest things that should be changing and that didn't potentially used to happen before. We try and get involved with the meetings, et cetera. So loads of new tools obviously coming out, loads of new skills, automation skills, Office 365, um, link. You know, not just developing warehouses, but how we collect information via forms and apps and uh, different things like that. So the skills needed and then looking at statistical tools, lots of new things coming out in that respect so yeah bi staff are becoming highly skilled and i think pay reflects that as well so trusts need to look at their structures and the kind of pay level they've got for staff as well because they'll struggle to retain bi staff because they can easily go to the
1: private sector as well
0: thank you nigel um alistair what do you think
1: Um, So so yeah, it's a really interesting one for me this, as I sort of mentioned in the introductions, um, I've got a 35-year career in in IT or or tech, so for 2022 to be the year of the digital professional, for me it feels like it's sort of been a long time coming. Um, As I understand it, this is kind of a foundational year, um, so we should see hopefully some investment to support the growth of the digital professions. the BI analysts, et cetera, that Nigel mentioned. Um, but, but also um, we, we should see the launch of a five-year strategy establishing the digital workforce. So it's, it's all good, but I think 2022 feels like it's, um, whilst it's overdue, it's also sort of the start of the journey in the NHS. Um, to, to the part of the question, the sort of second part, why does it matter? Um, for, for me, I think it matters because, well, the world has just changed and continues to change so dramatically. Um, I I think the pandemic has, if you like, accelerated that change, but there are other factors as well. Um, So we've now got vastly improved computing power and significantly higher volumes of data, uh, and these have introduced some new realities that were previously probably science fiction. They're now science fact. But meanwhile, um, we've got demand for healthcare services on the rise, uh, again, due to a range of factors. So professionalisation, if that was the word, um, it's it's vital. If the NHS is to keep up with the changing world and the ever-increasing demand on the system, um, it's exactly where we've got to get to.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Alistair. No, professionalisation is definitely a word. Now we need to get it in the dictionary 100%. Yeah. <laughs>
3: the yeah. Proper
0: word is <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I spoke professionalism. I don't
2: know. Really. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Perfect. Callie, we will come around to you for your answer.
2: Um, a lot, a lot of it is already has already has surprisingly already been said. It, it, it is exactly <laughs> what Alistair said the demand, the current demand, and the strains on on the healthcare service is is demanding a change and a streamline and a streamline and a change is through data is data data driven basically we everybody is embracing data right now everybody does it subconsciously almost yeah so we do have to have it within our recruitment portfolio because at the end of the day most interviews i'll probably see with the nhs people will probably be asking the question what data system do you use what data do you use yeah rather than us asking the interviewee can you work with this data? They, we're in a position now where they're actually turning it on its head and coming in. I mean, I certainly did. I came in and said, right, okay, we've got improvement projects. What's your baseline? What's what's that then? You know, what's what she measures? What's your KPIs? So 2022, the year of the digital professional is, is really a catch up year for us in the NHS. It really is and the demand is driving that change so what it means for us as an employer is we've got to have it as a standard no matter what role you're going for has to have a data aspect for it every role because every role will be exposed to huge rafts of data so if your business warehouse is doing what it's supposed to do they are providing you dashboards scoreboards the graphs performance graphs numbers figures you've got to really be able to simulate that data you can't just say I'm really good at looking after people, unfortunately. It <laughs> sounds a bit bleak, that doesn't it? I really apologize. <laughs> as, well
3: as, I, as well as I'm really good at looking after people. Um it is just incredibly interesting, just that bit about kind of the interviewees come in with questions around which tools or which platforms do you use there's certainly something different in the graduates that are coming through or apprenticeship sort of level training or even college level training that's sort of coming into the questions that they might ask of an interview panel around what tools and techniques do you need I've recently saw a picture and I really wish I'd kept hold of it which sort of talked about sort of um, data science data analytics data um, warehouse. and it sort of talked about the tools the advanced tools that were being used really poor for a podcast this kind of hand moving isn't it Um, (laughs) and then it sort of said and what I need in the workplace and it sort of dropped down to excel and we've still got some sense of culture in our organisation, as data-driven as we might want to be, that we still use, obviously, Excel as a core tool that is still valuable to people because the people in our organisation, that's what they know. And they've been here for many years, learning their craft in one particular tool. So it's how do we then, I guess, as leaders in this space, also help provide time for people to learn the new things and listen to what they're telling us, because they're new to us as well. And they probably know this better than we do.
4: I think the interviewing of staff of new staff is interesting because you get, I do interview a lot of people that come out of university. And there are a lot of people coming out with great, you know, they're coming out with masters in in data science and all sorts. But I put so much value on whether the person can communicate and whether the person can present because I can teach skills. I can teach them Power BI. I can teach them Excel all that. It's very difficult I find sometimes to teach people how to present, how to communicate. And if you have both of those skills coming out of uni, you'll do really well because it's, it's, I'm not say it's rare, but it, it is quite hard to find people who are willing to stand up for themselves in a meeting or suggest actions or, or not be afraid to, to put their opinion across and be wrong. I think it's, it's a very hard trade to, to develop some. I, I, put, I think I put more emphasis on that side rather than the technical skills, because, yeah, if they need to have some technical skill, some technical ability, you know, you need to know that they they can do it. But I think getting them to present in an interview is really fascinating. It is putting them under a bit of pressure. I often put I often give them I'm probably quite cruel in interviews, but I often give them a a test that I know they're not going to be able to do and just see how they get on. I give them too much data too much data and see what happens see if they'll be able to come and that that just it's really good it's really, I find it fascinating I think I'm quite cruel sometimes but yeah. <laughs> it's
3: audience as audience well it, I think
2: that helps too. <laughs> <laughs> it is audience as well I mean this I've been working with some uh, big groups regarding the uh, transformation that work that's going on in Leeds and um We've been doing it online one week and then face-to-face the next week and the face-to-face has been so much better because it literally is flip chart and pen and no hiding place and it's great and you can present and you can share and information with just a flip chart and a pen you can show any operational workforce how they're doing with a flip chart and pen have the data in your hand on a piece of paper translate that piece of paper onto there without just sticking that up and saying read this You know, if you can translate that data into flip chart and pen into a format with smiley faces and everything else and all that stuff, yeah, which lands with the audience you're in front of, then you've done it. You know, you obviously wouldn't do that with a board of directors. You'd say, right, everybody, here's the PowerPoint or open up, you know, open up your laptop to page three. But if you've got a group of postmen in front of you, you've got to draw it on a flip chart with a pen and get that across. And that's how... Data-driven.
4: Yeah, as part of being a digital professional, I think there's also you need to understand how to work remotely, and I think there's a skill yeah, there as well, yeah, understanding yeah. how to yeah. use tools and techniques to get meetings going. Things like using I don't if you've heard a slider, but it's just it's like an anonymous tool where you can give feedback. And I find that's really useful in meetings because people don't want to jump up and say what they think. They want to do it anonymously. And jump, as, long as, you get the, as long as you get the feedback <laughs> that you want. Yeah. And use tools and, and use tools that teams like we use planner in teams and things like that. All sorts of interactive ways you can get a meeting going. And I think it's, it is a new skill. It's going to continue. So we're not going to be going back to the office anytime soon. So.
3: And I think some of that's kind of the professionalism and the skills that kind of come from um, being facilitators and things are actually changing. And I think it's how we conceptualize our analytical workforce to when they are facilitators and enablers of a conversation or whether they are providing that information to somebody else that might have that particular set of skills. I think one of the areas at the moment we can see an awful lot of focus on the creation of analytics using tools such as Python or wherever we're sort of going with those different tools, Power BI, but there is something around what I hope will appear or reappear over the coming years around that sort of psychology of perception, the way people interact with visual information, how we tell a data story. And sometimes that sort of chip, flip chart and pen doesn't matter about the level of audience. There are conversations to be had at every level about how you take somebody through a data story. And that's the bit that's really engaging at the end of it. Without a data story, nobody's listening.
2: No. Otherwise, it just becomes a story or an opinion.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, we'll move on to the last question. Um, so, Nigel, we'll come around to you for this one. So, your question was, how can we better use automation tools across the NHS?
4: Yeah, it's just, uh, really an interest of mine because we've got a lot of digital strategy and a lot of the focus is on automation. We're starting to use obviously power automate power bi tools and we're just starting to use robotic process automation which is using bots to try and do processes that um mundane things that humans don't want to do they want to do better things than that but i just kind of interested in what everyone else kind of does in terms of automation how much of a focus your trusts are placing out because i think it's key the next two three years i think that's massive loads of stuff could be automated we've got loads of well, we have anyway, processes that are on paper or daft things are emailed across or so many processes people have to fill in or can't even find where they're supposed to fill in a, a document to send somewhere. So it's just interesting what everyone else kind of
1: does or what stage they're at.
0: Thanks Nigel. Um, Alistair, so we'll come round to you first on this one.
1: Yeah, it's a great question and I I'll be honest, I'm kind of struggling to answer it a little bit, partly just because of my um, lack of experience still in the NHS. Um, Within Tube, though, I I think um, from what I've seen, that there's definitely scope for um, improved automation. Um, I guess a a little anecdote that I could share is, so within the PMO, We've spent the last sort of six months or so developing a new project and program management framework. Um, and, um, you know, the head of PMO, Ken Tears, um, came to me one day and sort of said, look, we, we need to automate as much as we can. Can, can you sort of do some Excel stuff? Um, so I had to think about it and, and I was really thinking about project reporting and how we would get individual project reports into the PMO and maybe capture them in, in some sort of master Excel spreadsheet. Um, so the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, we could just develop a macro. You, you get your kind of one pager in and then you, you run a macro that will push that data into the master spreadsheet. So I, sh- I shared that with, with Ken and he, I think he was quite impressed. And he said, but what, what about, say we got, 20 30 40 50 project reports coming in how do we summarize that into maybe a dashboard so um, i thought about that and i developed another macro that basically stripped all of the date the headline data out of each report and put it into a, a summary sheet and, w- and when i showed it to the team it was really funny it was like i was some kind of magician they'd never seen like macros running in excel before um, which is not really, you know, I'm not, not saying this as any kind of criticism of my colleagues, because um, we, we're a fantastic team of, of programme and project managers with, with a lot of experience. Um, but uh, the, particularly the guys who are internal to Chuve, who've grown up in Chuve, n- never kind of seen this thing before. So uh, I, I do appreciate Excel is not exactly um, robotics or, or even Power BI or anything like that. But... I guess where I'm going with this is we, we are trying to automate where we can from a project and program management perspective. <clears throat> and actually we're talking about Power BI, we're, we're looking at how we can use that to improve and automate the, the presentation of the data. Um, so I, I, I'm absolutely certain there is stuff to be done and, and we're trying to do it w- within the, the little part of the trust that I work in. Um, but. I guess there's a lot more that could be done from a broader trust and broader NHS perspective, but I'm, I'm really just not very sighted on it, to be honest.
0: No, perfect. Thank you for that, though, Alistair. No, I appreciate it. It sounds like Ken's keeping you busy, though. Oh,
1: definitely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> perfect. All right, Kaldi, we'll come around to you next. Uh,
2: I think uh, a lot of it, Nigel, as you probably agree, is, is around systems all talking to each other as well. You know, we, we've switched to um, from Paris to care director and, you know, care, compared to Paris, care director does millions of things. You can automate uh, all risk assessments, all records, all patient records, care plans, everything is automated. So there's no bits of paper flying around, everything is in one place. So you go into care director, type in the ID, you get the person's case notes, you get all the history, you get every single person who's been involved with that person, et cetera, et cetera and then you can use that system to generate a letter to the gp so it comes out on a template an appointment letter comes out on a template but for some reason because of the because of the the connection with big hand and the way big hand work you still got to print that letter off and post it to the gp you know and you think and you're sitting there thinking this is brilliant because to, from what it was to what it is it's brilliant this is great everything's because from a governance point of view, we don't lose things because everything's there. We're not looking for bits of paper and big brown files. And, you know, we can open up huge rooms which used to just hold files. But you're sitting sit there thinking, biting your lip, thinking, can you not just email it to the GP automatically? <laughs> you know, does it need, It doesn't need that. It doesn't need that. It's only the legal firm that still needs a, a handwritten signature, and I'll debate that as well. But we 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 are taking little baby steps, like Alistair said, Excel macros, if that is the pinnacle, then let's accept that for now, but use it to try and take little you know and ask why why don't you do this? why don't you do that? So, yeah, how can we better use automation tools across we yes, how can we use automation tools across the NHS? We do it by just saying this is how it's done. This can be done, and you know and and and, and having the mantra of that paper is is a
0: dead concept
2: which is impossible in the NHS.
3: (laughs) Yes, thank you. Lisa, what are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. There's kind of a couple of different sort of thoughts running through my mind. I I think here at Rotherham, we've kind of made real strides in terms of how we use some of the automation tools available to us, mainly due to individuals kind of being fascinated and analytical curiosity about kind of what might work, where and when. Um, but I would say it's quite organic. I don't think it's been done through strategic intent at this point in time. I suspect over the next couple of years, we'll be moving in a more strategic direction to so investing in those sort of tools and products. But I I think on the, on the ground, one of the challenges to overcome is I always think it feels a bit like that, um, Cartoons—they tell them quite visual in terms of how I'm talking and what I talk about. Where they're sort of pushing that sort of rock up the wall and up the um, hill, and somebody sort of brings the wheel and sort of says, "Can use this," but I can't—we're too busy. And I think we spend so much time, sort of in the NHS, I'm probably talking more from an analytical perspective rather than just the full sort of informatic spectrum, generating the day-to-day requirements that, in a way in which we've only ever known how to do before, um, that we don't necessarily know how to take ourselves out of that and. and then focus on some training or some awareness raising around how it could be done differently. I do think coming back into sort of networking and professional groups and that type of competency work give people the opportunity more to find the networks you can't do what you've never seen done before so i think you need to see other people do things but you don't want to leave those sessions feeling so overwhelmed about how fantastic somebody else's product might be that you don't feel you've got time to to deliver or, or get there i sort of used a phrase a while ago around um, it's like drinking from a fire hose there's so much out there there's so much on google youtube Power bi kind of tutorials from every man and his dog across the entire of the organ across the entire of the globe. So you' got to go, and how do you just narrow that down and help people sort of just tilt away from that fire hose a bit and just kind of bring in a a steady stream of learning and information? And I think we've got a long way to go in terms of getting that sort of competency framework and our our own leadership, sort of in the pointing in the right direction for people.
4: yeah, no, I agree with some of that.
3: Not
2: all of it. <laughs> <laughs> we might you know, have lost it, him. It, it, he yeah, he just froze when he said... I think,
0: yeah. Is that it? Uh... <laughs> you know, but, I think we might that, have lost him.
2: Yeah, there, I mean, there is that, that shift away from the hard copy. You know, you'll still have that element of... People will do it electronically, but they'll also keep a hard copy just in case. Well, just in case never really happens. Mm. But it's, yeah, I think there's a mistrust of automation. There certainly was 15 years ago in the post office, huge mistrust of automation. But it shifted and I've seen it happen there. So we
3: we had a conversation was- about how do you. internally to our trust, um, a bit of a thought conversation about how do you make sure that the automation is doing what it needs to do once you've set it up? It's kind of how suddenly there's a whole new discipline again, I suppose, arising around assurance of automation and and who's doing all of that checking and what sort of measure and monitoring do you need in some sort of command centre to let you know when some algorithm looks like it's gone off or some data is looking a little bit um, not quite as it should.
2: It's, a very, it's a very term automation. It's got a negative connotation to it anyway. Digital solution should be the word anyway. You know, you, you automatically say automation to certain industries such as the motor industry and you get taking jobs and yeah. you get <clears throat> not as good as me. You know, um, you can't automate a nurse's role, you know, and um, so it's digital solutions or technical solution, we used to call it.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, I think that rounds up all the questions. I know we've got some others in the pipeline, but I think it'll tip us over the hour mark. Um, So, yeah, I just to say thank you all for your time this evening. Um, It's been really interesting for me to kind of sit and listen to you all. Um, So, yeah, just just thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed it.